Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Well, hello, everyone. I'm so glad you could join us today, which is July 26th, 2017. The year is moving right along. What I love most about this show is when some of my previous guests choose to come back. And this is one of my very favorites, Dr. Gregory Canelis. Am I saying your name correctly? You are. Mm-hmm. Good. Thanks. I'll be <laughs> I always have the worst time with certain people's last names. Yeah, We're going to be talking today. I know. Well. I bet you do. I bet you do. Give a little background on you. Uh, you're currently teaching as a clinical psychologist at a doctoral program at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. And That's correct. it ha- happens to be that Los Angeles campus. Uh-huh. And then exactly. prior to that, you worked as a clinical psychologist uh, providing services to adults and children, adolescents and families. So you have a really great background in the subject matter of today, which is how yes. to be a good father. Yes. <laughs> and I think, you know, our educational system doesn't have classes for how to be a good mother or a good father or a grandparent, et cetera. It's one of the most difficult jobs in the world. And tell us why. Well, like you said, they don't give you a manual. So people um, have a kid and they leave the hospital oftentimes with little to no information. And unless they um, pulled their own information or took um, the initiative to attend classes, you kind of go with what you know from what your parents did. Most families I've worked with, I talk to the parents, um, they just repeat what their parents did. And that mm. may have worked. In other cases, maybe it didn't. So um, I think doing these kinds of broadcasts for your listeners um, are, is excellent because then people get a little bit more information. And a lot of times it triggers things that people haven't even thought about in terms of raising kids, um, being a good parent, um, even thinking about the kinds of things that their parents did and whether mm-hmm. they keep those things or whether they should um, move forward with new approaches to parenting. Wow. It really is, it really is a big issue. It, it seems that as a parent... I looked back on things that my parents did and I kind of had to monitor myself raising our son in terms of, "Mm, I don't think I'm going to discipline him that way. Mm." 
I think I'm going to do more boundaries. Mm, you know, I mean, it just kind of <laughs> yeah. went, went on and on. So if you That's- grew up and you didn't have any of those things, how mm-hmm. would you know how to be a good parent? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, sometimes people learn from other people. They have mentors. Um, and a lot of times that does help from the folks that I've talked with. Um, but I think doing your own research and being introspective uh, is also very helpful. And so doing what you just mentioned, like thinking about things that your parents did with you and whether that you would do that with your own child. Mm-hmm. What problems do you do you see uh, arising? So there's a lot of things that um, parents do, and I, I put together this, this, and I can send this to you later, maybe you can send it out to your listeners, put together something called the ABCs of Parenting. And so these are things that are important to look at um, in terms of, like, attachment issues. Uh, is there a good attachment with the child? Um, following up on developmental milestones and tasks. I've had some parents who, at age three, their kid isn't speaking, and, you know, they get worried, and so they follow up, and we can catch things maybe a little bit earlier and mm-hmm. diagnose a learning disability or um, autism, things like that. Um, good boundaries, very good boundaries in these. That's one of the biggest things I think I encountered in clinical practice. A lot of times parents did not have good boundaries, and that's when they showed up in my office. They did not um, establish who is the parent and who is the kid. Mm-hmm. And some because maybe some of the parents I was working with were younger parents. Um, they were having kids when they were kids, and mm-hmm. so they didn't establish a good sense of who's in charge. And so kids were acting out. They didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, a parenting figure, a parental figure to um, set the boundaries and say this is what's right, this is what's wrong, these are the consequences for the behaviors. So those are just some of the things. Um, integrity, modeling. A lot of parents will say, do what I say but not what I do, and that's not exactly <laughs> how works. Um, <laughs> will do what they see. That's how they learn. Mm-hmm. Um, just some things like that, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so true. I mean, they, kids look to their, their parents to basically guide them. And mm-hmm. if they don't have that, they tend to, tend to um, feel insecure. Exactly. And with that insecurity, that's where a lot of problems arise. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they need that. You know, even as adolescents, adolescents we usually rebel more so than um, some of the younger kids. But that's that's part of the process. They are supposed to be um, in the process of becoming individuals. Mm-hmm. But they still need boundaries. And so mm-hmm. it's, with adolescents, it's helping the parents to continue to establish those boundaries, you know, like curfews, things like that, um, but also give the kids some room so that he or she could begin to negotiate the world. Okay. And how much um, room do you give them? Not a lot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, honestly. No, honestly. You have to kind of um, give them enough to where they're able to start to venture out in the world, to be responsible, um, but not enough where they're 
out in the world without any guidance. Okay? Mm-hmm. So still having curfews, still monitoring who they're um, engaged with, who, they're, who are their friends, because um, that's, that's another area where kids kind of get in trouble, the peer group. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes as an adolescent, that changes, and that, that can be um, a negative in some ways. So monitoring all those things, continuing to be the same parent that they were when kids were younger, um, but recognizing that kids do need some autonomy and they need to be prepared, um, especially if they go away to school. Some some kids, I think, are staying home now. More kids are maybe staying home and going to school locally or working after graduating. But there's still a number of kids that go away to school, and they're going to be on their own and they'll have to make decisions without the um, parent being there or monitoring it uh, as regularly as they did when they were living with them. So helping them to learn that by, you know, loosening the reins, so to speak, but not completely completely letting them go, um, you know, amok, running amok, so to speak. Have you found through your um, experience and talking with parents, getting kids to do um, chores, Mm-hmm. Getting part-time jobs mm-hmm. be, is it beneficial for them in terms of teaching them responsibility, or do they rebel? Well, they sometimes rebel, um, especially when it has to do with chores. I don't know anybody that really likes to do chores. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, adults. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that it does teach them responsibility. Again, if they're going away to school, or they're going to get their own apartment. Um, you know, you have to you have to clean up sometime. You have to mm-hmm. do take out the trash. You have to do those things that um, keep a household running. So I do think it's a good idea to do that. Um, but they're not usually happy about it. So parents have to tie that to some incentive. So oh, okay. Incentive, it's like do, it is like working. Um, so if you do this, you get this. And and, mm-hmm. and the kid has to be um, a part of developing whatever that reward system is. So if kids don't like watching TV, that would not be the reward. Um, if they like playing video games, that would be the reward for doing their chores mm-hmm. on a daily basis, et cetera. And so it does teach some structure. And, again, going back to boundaries, it teaches some boundaries. And that can be very helpful. Um, in terms of working, there are all kinds of pluses with that. Um, if the if the adolescent can do that while balancing school, some kids are only able to do one thing, and the other mm-hmm. kids are able to school and sports and um, drama club and and work. And so, if they're able to do that, it teaches them how to be independent, to earn their own money. Um, those kinds of things are really important. Mhm. Well, interesting that you talk about household chores and tying it to reward system. You know, I, I grew up where I had to do our household chores, but there was no reward system. And as a result, as a grown up adult, I still resent the fact that I had to do all that. (laughs) And on top of that, because I was the only girl. You know, okay. I was the only girl, and I had all the brothers, and so oh, and you know, 
I was in the kitchen. I yeah, I was in the kitchen washing the dishes every friggin' night of the year. <laughs> there was no I, I, reward for me. No, and a lot of a lot of families there were not. Um, the reward was you get to eat, you get to live <laughs> on this roof, and that was it. Um, you know, you, that was your reward. Um, it doesn't play out as well, though, with, I think, this generation, and they expect more. And mm. I think in fairness, because um, as you said, you resented it, um, parents will want Yeah, I still do. <laughs> yeah. I still exactly. do. I'm still mad about it. <laughs> so parents will want to do that. Um, I think, but reasonable. Of course, like kids can't say, "Well, I, I want, I'll take out the garbage if you give me a car," and that's not within the family. <laughs> oh budget. yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, um, and sometimes kids are not reasonable. So it's coming to a happy medium, something that works for the parent and something that works for the child or adolescent. Um, a lot of kids are into the cell phones, and so sometimes parents will tie um, the chores to the cell phone, cell phone usage. They'll pay the phone bill if the kid does X, Y, and Z, okay? Mm. Um, really, I think linking it to um, some kind of incentive, really some mm-hmm. support. Yeah, well, yeah. parents parents have cell phone bills now for very young children. So if you, if you compute that out <laughs> until they're 18 years old, that is a lot of money. <laughs> It is. If you have, that is if you have more than one child, I don't know how people are doing it. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. But yeah, that um, that is another challenge, and maybe we can talk about that later. The technology and how that's impacting families and fatherhood and things like that. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. I can. I I can only imagine because, uh, well, you go out and eat at a restaurant, and you in in a family's there. Everybody has their cell phone out. Everybody's on their phone. No, there's no communication between anyone. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, and children growing up don't have the level of of, of uh, parental, uh, probably parental attention that previous generations had as a result. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Now, um my generation might have been TV, though. I think that was the issue for us, but you couldn't watch that all the time. So you didn't have the TV necessarily in a restaurant. Um, but I know families that grew up watching TV and eating dinner around. Um, mm-hmm. the, and that, that was probably just as distracting. But we mm-hmm. have to multiply that probably by 10 because now you can take the phone with you. And like you said, people are doing it in restaurants. Um, people are doing it in church. Um, you know, I've had to catch myself, too. Um, and stop doing it in certain places. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what, that's one of the things I've talked about with parents, and when I'm training students, we talk a lot about that. And there's not a lot of research on it yet, but probably in the next 20 years we're going to find that it negatively affected the family. With children today, when I've interviewed other psychologists that work with children, they're mm-hmm. finding that because they're not having the um, the eye contact, the uh, um, the facial expressions by talking to each other and learning what those translate to, they're on their phones instead communicating with one another, that that part of the developmental stage is really 
going backwards. Uh, yes. Their their ability to socialize mm-hmm. is becoming hampered. I would agree. And that and that is probably going to be borne out by more research in probably ten to twenty years. But yeah, mm. they're not learning okay, they're not learning how to talk to each other other than on the phone or um online. Um, they're not learning that from their parents, they're not learning that at school because most of the time is spent on that device. So um Yeah. Body language. They're not learning body language. No, because they're not even looking up at you. So exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a good thing in that we are able to do some things that we couldn't do um, before. Like nobody has to carry a camera if they don't want to anymore. Um, you don't have to worry about film and things like that. You know that we had to worry about maybe fifteen, twenty years ago or growing up mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, you don't need. Um, I can't remember the name of it. There was a map book that everybody had, uh, Thomas Guide. Yes. You know, yeah. Yes. You remember yes. You needed that to find places, and now you do it on your phone. And So there's some good things that I think have come along with technology. And, Absolutely. And you, but there are some negative things in terms of how we interact with each other. Mm-hmm. How we communicate. Mm-hmm. And most families, I think, I talk to my students about this all the time, they don't learn how to communicate anyway. That was my generation, previous generations. Um, you know, many families mm-hmm. children are told, do what I say, not what I do, and um, children be seen and not heard from. So how do you learn how to communicate if that's the message that the family is sending? And so we have that as history, and then now we add the phones, and um, there are really a lot of problems around communication within families. I would think conflict resolution is is at the top of the list. Uh, the texting, all motions taken out of it. Uh, you can misinterpret what somebody's sending to you. I imagine there's quite a few breakups as a result of it. Yeah, <laughs> relationship <laughs> in relationships, um, and then you know you've got this conflict, and how, how do you resolve it? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. You might have to get together and talk about it. <laughs> right, but he wants to do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> Who I, has the time for that? Right, exactly. But that actually is the best. I mean, that is the best thing for people. I'm not. I was telling a friend uh, this weekend we had brunch and I was talking to my friend and telling him, you know, I don't like to talk on the phone anymore. Um, texting is a little bit easier, emailing that kind of thing, or meeting in person like we were doing mm-hmm. at brunch. Love that. I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is on the phone now, but um, in person is so much better. You get to talk to people. It is. Even, you know, um, see how they react, uh, all of that stuff. And I think that that's good, and we should be moving a little bit more towards that than away from it. Yeah, I miss telephone conversations, actually. I really mm-hmm. do. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, there's a connection there, you know. There's there's a connection there with somebody else, and um, you know, inflictions in the voice, and and you know, you can talk emotionally about about things, issues. True. Very true. And sometimes you're not in the same city or um, state. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. It has though become. I'm just being honest. It has become less fun to me. 
what I was to have lesser during college. Um, and maybe that some of that has to do with scheduling and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Phone. I don't actually have that, but I'd love to do that in, in person um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. see people and interact with people like that. Um, for but it is. Work. But you're right. You're right. Everybody's texting now. They're not calling. No, don't call at all. When um, you when your phone rings, it's usually um, <laughs> somebody <laughs> that's uh, wanting to sell you something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's right. like, oh, my phone is ringing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh my ring, but, gosh. Um, but that I think is how technology has impacted the family, or will continue to impact the family. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. good, bad things about it. Yeah. So getting back to how to be a good father. Mm-hmm. What else do you have so, to? Um, I think a lot of the stuff that we talked about is general, um, but mm-hmm. it could apply to mothers and fathers. Um, mm-hmm. The role of dad is very important, and I think I mentioned earlier that I recently did a presentation on fatherhood and parenting. And we spent a lot of time talking about how important it is for kids to have contact with dad um, in intact families, but also in families where the parents may be separated or divorced. Um, It is a really powerful thing to have access to both parents. And so dad's roles sometimes are minimized, um, but they should not be because they have an equal impact, both positive and negative, on kids. They're just as important to mothers, again, even mm-hmm. when family is not um, able to be together. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that the father-son relationship uh-huh. is very important. I would agree. I would agree. Because in many cases, um, well, women can teach boys many excellent qualities that, again, are not specifically tied to gender, um, like compassion, um, honesty, things like that. Mm -hmm. Only a man really can teach a boy how to be a man. And, again, we go back to modeling. You know, Mm -hmm. dad, who's a good role model, who's teaching you how to be upstanding, to be a good citizen, to um, be a good partner to learn how to talk, to communicate, um, to express affection, to talk about emotions, that that is very positive, that that's something mm-hmm. that I think most kids need. And dads are also important in raising girls, too. Um, oh, absolutely. Many people that think that um, a good dad usually impacts girls positive ways in terms of who they choose as partners later in life. Very true. You know, how their mother and father interacted, Mm -hmm. um, and they choose somebody that might have characteristics similar to their father. So I think it's it's positive for both genders. Yeah, I've, I've witnessed those that had really great fathers later on in life choose their partners that have pretty much the same qualities. Yes, yes, yes. 
they're the fortunate and they're the fortunate people. I I look at them as very fortunate. Exactly. Exactly. So they were, and I, I don't know what the percentage, I don't know what the overall percentage of that is, but from my own personal experience and, and people around me, it's not that high. So you're really, really fortunate if you, if you got yeah. that in life. Yeah. Yes. And I think that goes back to some of the things that we were talking about earlier, like good communication, um, kids learning to trust that mm-hmm. they can make mistakes in families, but that doesn't mean that they will be disowned or, um, you know, ridiculed about it. That goes back to who that parent is generally. And they probably themselves had good parenting modeled for them so that they were able mm. to do it. With and not always, because I, I, what I also tell families and um, students is that sometimes you learned good and bad. The trick is to keep the good stuff and to mm-hmm. discard them. So That's right. It, does it, it doesn't mean that you cannot have it. You just need to be conscious of what you experienced in your own childhood so that you don't um, take those things into your family and it becomes generational. Mm, good. That's really good stuff. It really is. Yes. Um, but, yes, your dads are really important. I think I ran across a number earlier and I, um, about fathers and how many are not living, how many kids currently are not living with their father. And I think it's something like 24.7 million or 33% overall. And with Mm. um, African-Americans, it's about 57.6%, 31.2% Hispanic children or Latino children, and 20.7 European-American children. And so those Mm. are the numbers of kids that are not living with dads. But as I said earlier, um, dads can still have an impact. Dads Mm -hmm. can still be Mm -hmm. present in in the child's life and impact them really positively. Well, you know, you, you look at at twenty four point seven million. That is a lot. A lot. That, that's a lot of families that. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, without fathers basically in the home. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. Tough. Really tough. And do you find today because both parents are typically working to make ends meet now? that there's even more challenge than there ever was before in raising children? Yeah, yeah. I think that's impacted families, too. Um, and there have been more studies on that because that that um, phenomenon, I guess, began probably like in the early 70s. So we know mm-hmm. a little bit more about it. Um, and, yes, it does impact um, families. Now, there are ways, I think, to mitigate the um, risk factors with that. Um, and, again, it, ha- it goes back to quality time and spending quality time and communicating with your kids. Um, if you're not able to be there all day, and most families mm-hmm. can't, um, or there are families that are single-parent homes, and the parent who is the custodial parent is working and can't be home all day. Um, but there are things, again, that I think people can do, like um, increase your support group if you don't have a support group, Grandparents, grandmothers, grandfathers are a great resource in many, in many families. Um, a circle of elders, so 
in many many communities there are elders who um, are like surrogate grandparents, and then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they they serve to watch kids when they get home until the parents come, and so kids aren't by themselves and they're they're developing a relationship um, with somebody who they know cares about them, because those mm-hmm. are things that active factors. Those are the things that um, reduce the risk of kids not doing well. Um, when you're on your own and you don't feel connected, those are risk factors. Those things increase health issues, mental health issues, um, injury for kids. And so we want to do the things that I think are really positive that um, make for more protective factors for them. And so even with those challenges, there are things that parents can do. You know, that's really a great point, um, specifically to the surrogate, you know, elder elders in that live in neighborhoods. I remember when our son was growing up and we were both at work, uh, we had a next door neighbor and he was the most brilliant man. He was retired. He knew everything about just about everything. I mean, you know, automotive and engineering and technology and he literally took our son under his wing and he taught him all those things to this day to this day there isn't anything that our son can't do as a result of the time that our neighbor put in to our son Uh you know it's like i see i see he's living in inside our son (laughs) he still lives <laughs> he's no longer oh, in this world with us, right? But but he yes. still lives. Uh-huh. He took he took all that knowledge and crunched it into our son's brain. Yes, yes. And he, like you said, your son is still carrying that with him. Yes, so those he are is. The experiences that are protective factors, um, especially for younger kids. If, if there are people within the community that can serve that role when mm-hmm. uh, the two when they don't have grandparents, right? Because our right. son didn't have any grandparents. Exactly, and it's a reciprocal relationship. So the kid is getting something out of it, but, but usually the elder is also getting something out of it. You know, mm-hmm. there are lots of people that retire and they sit at home and watch TV when yes. they um, probably would like to be more active. They just don't know how to get involved. And so mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm. that's a mentor relationship. It's not a formalized one like big brothers, big sisters, but it is a mentor relationship that is mutually beneficial. So those are kinds of things. And they don't cost money. Um, those no. are kinds of things I talk to parents about um, in order to make sure that they're a good father, a good mother, um, that they're doing a, a really excellent job at parenting their kids. Yeah, because if as as a parent, let's just say as a father, if you lack the skills, say, in automotive or in engineering or, or whatever, if you can find a mentor for your child, that's giving them a gift that will last them a lifetime. Exactly. 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 And that's part of being a really great father. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. Being able to step aside and go, I don't know. I don't know how to do this, but I will see if I can find somebody that can teach you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and again, I think that's, that's a, good, a sign of a good dad. Mm-hmm. And if they're able to do that, release exactly. that, have a mentor, um, establish a relationship with somebody outside of the family or even inside of the family, that that can be a bonus.
for them because it usually um, it helps to de-stress the parent because they're not always worked, worried about what's going on with the kid while they're at work. Um, and, again, it's, it's a good thing for the elder. It's a good thing for the child. So mm-hmm. those are things, mm-hmm. you know, we did um, 20, 30 years ago in previous generations that we need to probably bring back because they're not being done, I think, in the same way that um, they were done years ago. That's too. very true, too. Everything I, is changing. I, it is, and it's not necessarily for the positive. Um, but I grew up in a community where people would community parent. <laughs> so if you're walking down the street, you're walking home from school, and um, they see you doing something wrong, they could discipline you or speak speak with you about it. Um, oh. And then, yeah, and then when you got home, they probably had called your parents. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so um, that doesn't exist in the same way now, and Uh that probably is the negative. Um, Yeah. You know, you could be at church and in the children's section and acting up or eating candy, things that you knew that you were not supposed to be doing, and the ushers could discipline you. And um, if you had, you know, walked to church with your siblings and my mom had gone, she didn't go that day, and you tell the story about how you got in trouble, um, how Mrs. Robinson <laughs> took <laughs> to you, um, and you thought you were getting Ms. Robinson in trouble, you were actually getting yourself in trouble again, so you got it twice. <laughs> uh, so it was that kind of community parenting that I think was really helpful, you know, and it was yeah. um, taught respect for the other people in the community. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, mm-hmm. Robinson trying to do that. Ms. Robinson might get um, some choice words from kids today, um, and yes. that that was not acceptable. So it's going back yeah. to, I think, things that have changed for us that really mm-hmm. worked, and, of course, mm-hmm. discarding did not. No. Yeah. And, and again, uh, I, you know, I don't know what other issues come before you, you know, as a psychologist, but... Uh-huh. I assume that there's a big battle with fathers and computers with their children. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Any technology seems to be. And it's very tough. It's very tough yeah. because schools these days are requiring uh, students to use technology. I mean, even, uh, you know, it's a little off subject, but even in college now, there's mm-hmm. online courses, um, mm-hmm. they have hybrid courses where you just show up one day a week instead of two and the other day you're on the computer so with children that's a really tough thing to balance because they can say well I have a lot of homework tonight but it's all on the computer and you can't sit there and watch them every second (laughs) no you can't can't. there are things that parents can do to block certain sites that kids probably should not be on um, True. But they do need to learn it. So I'm not saying that they don't need to be involved with technology because um, it's changing pretty fast. And if you're not involved in it, um, it puts you at a disadvantage. So yes. we were talking about elders and stuff a little bit earlier, and I know lots of elders who have cell phones, but they can't text. So they can't keep up with certain things. And I don't think uh-huh. that's um, and so I think very similar with kids, you want them to be able to learn how to type papers and how to use the Internet for research. They have access to things that, again, previous generations did not have access to 
That's um, right. That makes things much easier. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. the Dewey system and the card catalog system. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, at the libraries. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. So they have, yeah, they're able to find stuff so much faster. Um, they can go to the source articles. They can do all of that stuff, and they have to learn that for college-level um, work, for graduate school. It's, it's a necessary thing. So parents, yes. I, I don't think, should completely cut off technology, but no. they do need to monitor it more, and they need mm-hmm. to understand the impact that that is probably having on the family. So I mentioned phones earlier and how that, and uh, we were talking about how that impacts, like, the dinner table and things like that. But so does um, video games and um, the computer and kids being on Facebook all day. and all those, th- all those things, again, are good things for them, but they can have negative consequences, too, when not um, used in moderation. Mm-hmm. Well, if I were raising a family today, I probably would literally put on a calendar <laughs> family time yeah. where everybody would take their cell phones and put them in a basket and they'd go in another room mm-hmm. and you would spend family time together, you know, mm-hmm. doing activities, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. so, um, um, game nights, things like that. I talk to parents mm-hmm. about doing It's very similar to what, um, when I'm working with couples, I talk to them about with date nights. It's just yes. family work. Yeah. So all relationships need to have um, some interaction for them to last and for them to be mutually uh, beneficial, whether that's a partnership, um, a marriage, whether that is um, friendships, even work relationships, mm-hmm. there some kind of interaction, not necessarily always on a daily basis, but there has to be some attention paid to those relationships if they are to um, be nurtured and to grow. And so, yes, absolutely, family time, um, and again, there are things that families can do that don't necessarily be, need to be tied to money. And I think we're, our mindset is more on we have to do and we have to buy and we have to do things like that. Um, but it doesn't have to be stuff that costs money. You know, movies now are super expensive. They're great to, to watch. But if you have a family, I know. Home, that's, that can run you a couple hundred dollars. So. <laughs> I know they're, all the movie theaters are converting to these high-end experiences uh-huh. to get people uh-huh. into the theaters yeah. <laughs> with high prices. <laughs> yeah, and they're very nice. I mean, I'm, I'm not knocking Oh, it's it. a fabulous experience. And, yes, but um, that might not be affordable for everybody, especially if they mm-hmm. have a large. Um, but going to the park, finding things that are um, low price or free, there are a lot of mm-hmm. museums city that I live in um, that have days, like there's a museum that has uh, Sundays as a free day. And so families can go um, see the exhibits. Um, a lot of times they have interactive workshops that are age appropriate for kids. And those things don't cost any money. You know, the beach, lots of things like that where families can spend time together, where dads can develop relationships with their sons and daughters, where mothers can also do the same um, those things, I think, need to be incorporated and, and are what we know are good parenting. Yeah, and they're educational, too. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, you're in, Los, you're in Los Angeles, and I they am. have the Natural History Museum. I mean, there's fabulous 
museums in L.A. Yeah, tons of them. And, and it, generally they have at least once a month a day that's free and open to the public. Um, the Museum of Latin American Art, I know that they have um, Sundays, every Sunday, sponsored by mm. Target, the Target Sundays. And um, families go to that and they enjoy it from what I've Oh, that's seen great. it. Um, so it's, I think, a really good thing. It's just been creative a lot of times mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and wanting to spend some time maybe looking for things that would be beneficial, same as mm-hmm. if you were planning. Right? No, I think it's, it's, it's all really, really good advice. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add to uh, being a good father? Um, one of the things that fathers talk to me a lot about is um, education. And Uh, so I think being a good dad is really following up on any educational issues that your child might have. Um, And then, you know, even participating in back-to-school night if your child is doing well, because it's good for them to see if there's some interest in their education and starting starting early with that. Um, You know, we know that 9th through 11th is really – very important because it sets up where their kids will be getting into a university or college of their choice, but it starts earlier than that. And following up on things like that and participating, um, you know, moms a lot of times are associated with PTAs, but I've had mm-hmm. dads participate in um, things like that, and they find it really helpful. You know, it's nice for people to see fathers on campus. It's nice for them to interact um, because usually that, that has been the responsibility of the mother um, and not always um, a good thing to just make it about the mom. Mm-hmm. That's it, follow up on that. I think that really helps to make a good dad. It shows interest in the kids' um, grades, how they're doing classes, things like that. Um, I think I maybe mentioned to you that I've taught at every level, so high school, psychology classes, community college, um, undergrad, and master's oh, okay. doctoral. Wow. And working as a teacher in a high school, I was somewhat surprised by the lack of attendance um, by parents. Of uh, either maybe um, 20 to 25% of parents would geez. show up on school nights. And those were almost always the parents of kids who were doing well. Uh, kids were, the huh. kids were about it because the parent could hear how well they're doing directly from mm-hmm. the teacher. Um, it was positive reinforcement for the behavior mm-hmm. that they were in class. Now, the ones that needed to be there <laughs> weren't. Did not, um, probably didn't even tell their parents that it was happening. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, if they're not doing well and they know it, they're not going right. to have the parents come. <laughs> oh, right. Sometimes uh, I would call parents have to call them during class time um, because they were not doing so well in terms of behavior. Mm-hmm. And a lot mm-hmm. of that actually had to do with the phone. And, you know, I'd turn around to go to the board to write things out, and they're on their phone. They turn back around. Nobody's paying attention. Uh. But those were the kids that usually wouldn't come to those things because they knew mm-hmm. that I had lots to say. <laughs> I about bet. Quality of their work and their behavior in class. Um, yeah. But Dads can really be involved in that, I think. I think they're not as involved as um, we would like to see. 
and mm-hmm. that, that there are mm-hmm. very positive consequences to being connected to kids' education and being involved in school. One of one of the one of the big changes that I see though is in the uh, millennials. Uh, mm-hmm. The the fathers tend to uh, take on a lot more of the uh, child care responsibilities mm-hmm. than they ever have before. Yeah, I would agree. I'd agree. And it's and really not, it's really lovely to see. Yes, that's a good thing. Um, not just again for the kid, but that has um, an impact on the relationship too. Usually, mm-hmm. positive. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah, was, particularly, was, particularly if both parents are working as well. Exactly. Exactly. And that that's always been the domain of the mother. Mm-hmm. And many women, mothers that I've talked to, again, especially if they're working, it can be overwhelming, you know. So for the dad to take responsibility for um, parenting in that way has always been a, a positive in couples that I've worked with. That's usually not the issue. It's other stuff, if they come in, and they're coming to see me. But that's a strength that we can build on. Exactly, exactly. Well, it's been lovely having you on our show. I always learn something new from you, and I'm sure our listeners do too. Um, And uh, if there's anything else you want to add, please do. Okay. Um, I think that's it. I think the education was the biggest thing that I um, almost forgot to add, so thank you for um, asking that Oh, good. Good, good, good. (laughs) I'm so glad. As usual, I've enjoyed our conversation as well. I have too. Thank you, Dr. Gregory Canelis. Really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and, again, teaching us all the different aspects of parenting and how to be a good father. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That wraps up our show for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Please tune in again next Wednesday. We'll have another great one for you. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at healthmedianow and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?